0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 198 of the iFreak Show. Today in our show, we have someone you probably recognize if you follow the Swift Evolution. She's also been a, a guest before, but she's joining us on the panel today. Please welcome Erica Sadun.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: We're glad to have you here. And our guest today is Matt Rongi.
2: Hi, uh, it's great to be here.
0: Excellent. I'm James Uber, And, Matt, we've had you on the show before. It's been a, a couple years, I think, back when you were yeah. launching. Yeah. It looks
2: almost two years at this point. Okay. Not quite, but getting there.
0: Yeah. Last time you were here, you had just launched your product, AstroPad. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so for uh, those of you that don't know, AstroPad is um, an app you can run on your iPad. And there's also a corresponding Mac companion app that you launch. And it connects your Mac and your iPad together so that it'll mirror your Mac screen on your iPad. And then you can use uh, Apple Pencil to draw right on the iPad and um, use it like a graphics tablet. Um, So really, you can, you know, with our software, AstroPad, you can use the iPad pro, uh, as a wireless portable, uh, drawing tablet for the Mac, you know, when previously these things from Wacom were very, very expensive. And, you know, then you had to deal with specialty hardware.
0: Okay. So who would be a, a typical user?
2: Like, yeah, so we have a lot of uh, illustrators, uh, photographers. Um, we have people doing uh, 3d work with it. Uh, ZBrush for doing like 3d modeling is pretty popular. Um, On the whole, though, a lot of illustrators, a lot of people working in Photoshop, um, doing all kinds of uh, design.
1: The concept is so sweet.
3: Are you looking to expand your skills in mobile development? Have an idea for the next Angry Birds app? Then you need to check out iOS Remote Conf, produced by the same team that brings you your favorite devchat.tv podcasts like Ruby Rogues and iFreaks. Join us for two days of jam-packed fun and learning streamed to you live, May 17th and 18th. Go check it out at iosremoteconf.com. A lot of illustrators,
2: a lot of people working in Photoshop, um, doing all kinds of uh, design.
1: The concept is so sweet. I mean, when I first went to your website and looked at it and realized that you could put a Photoshop palette well not a palette a layer canvas whatever you call it onto your ipad and then start drawing directly onto it i just found that such an exciting idea where did that come from
2: yeah so that originally came from um my uh, co-founder uh, giovanni uh he you know so he had been going for a run and um, kept seeing ads for the Microsoft surface and was like, you know, that's pretty cool, but I don't, I don't really want to buy a surface. Um, You know, but I've got this iPad. I, you know, why, why can't I do something like that with the iPad? That'd be really cool if I could use the iPad and the Mac together. And uh, both him and I had had previous experience with like Wacom drawing tablets and we'd been really frustrated with them. And so, like the next day, when he told me, you know, about his idea, I totally jumped on it too. I was like, "Oh yeah, I've I've had a you know a graphics tablet in the past, or pain in the butt to use. They have this very um, difficult hand-eye coordination that you've got to use. Uh, that You've got to learn to uh, learn how to use them." And uh, <clears throat> so right away, it was like, "Okay, that's this is a great idea. Like, <laughs> let's see, can can we do it?" Um, and that that was the um, pulling it off was was the really uh, hard part. We had no idea at the time what we were getting into.
1: How is the latency?
2: Latency is really low. Um, we uh, and and that was is really the challenge in in building it. Well, there's really there's really two aspects that are really unique to the tech that makes it run. Our our tech we call it Liquid, and that's what we spent most of our time on. Uh, be, developing Astropad is just we spent just about a year and a half developing uh, liquid and then um, Some more time at the end, you know polishing it up and turn it into a, you know overall good app and user experience But um, so we had to build custom tech to keep the latency really really low now It's dependent on your Wi-Fi network or if you're using USB but um, you know even on usb uh we can do it where I've, I've used like the um uh the iphone camera to like take pictures where i do latency tests and I, I put like a millisecond timer up on one screen and have it mirror um to the uh to the same or to the ipad and then when i take a picture i it's actually ends up being on the same frame. So at that point we know it's less than 16 milliseconds of latency and we'd actually in fact need a uh, faster refresh, a screen with a faster refresh rate to to even measure it below that. Um, And people
1: don't react to that, do they?
2: To the 16 millisecond?
1: Yeah, that's below the human.
2: Yeah, limit, that's right? really, yeah, that's really low. And that was part of our um, desire with it was to be as low as we possibly could. And we've done all sorts of tricks to pull that off. I mean, we're, we've split the system out among, uh, we do like some pre-computation on the GPU before it's sent over to the CPU for further compression. So we have our, a custom compression stack and we have a custom um, uh, network protocol that specifically tuned for low latency. And so kind of putting all those pieces together is how we're able to pull off that incredibly low latency and get below what most people can easily perceive. Could
1: you have done this before the pencil?
2: So we actually did. Um, so that's, that's uh, that's an interesting question. Um, we actually did launch before the pencil. Um, and I think the, when I was on this show before that was, uh, before the iPad pro and at the time it was me and my co-founder and we were trying to, you know, we, as pad was catching on, a lot of people were really interested in the concept, but the reality was, is the styluses weren't good enough. Like we were targeting professional users, but the, you know, big chunky styluses that were available for the iPad. Um, there were some Bluetooth ones too, not great. Um, they just weren't they just weren't good enough. Um, pros would try it and they'd be like, yeah, this is a lot of potential, but it's not just not there yet. So really, what transformed Astropad and what transformed our business too was the Apple Pencil. Um, we ended up being really in the perfect spot for when the Apple Pencil launched because we had launched mm, I don't know maybe eight months, nine months. No, I think it was more than that, ten months before the pencil came out. Mm-hmm. So it was enough time for us to like, um, get it out there, get it in front of people and fine tune it and really, uh, um, tune up the software and, and improve the user experience, improve the core tech so that when Apple pencil came out, we were ready. Like it wasn't like our version 1.0 dropping at that time. Like we had already, um, had put multiple versions out and we were, you know, in the right place at the right time. I remember So when,
1: you're investing, like, this huge, huge amount into your infrastructure? Yeah. How, how did you set up the business knowing there was such a big tech investment?
2: We didn't know it getting into it, um, and I'm glad we didn't. <laughs> we we might have been scared away. Um, I always describe it as kind of like... Um, It was like hill climbing where we're like, or like, we're like, we get to the top of one hill and then we, you know, then we can see in front of us and they're like, wow, there's, there's a hill we got to climb that's even higher. And we just kept doing that. So from where we started, we couldn't see how difficult it was but we just kept going, we kept working at it and we're like, Hey, well we've come this far, you know, we're gonna figure this out. Um, some of the, some of the, the the challenge of like, how can we make something that's incredibly low latency, um, and also really high, high quality imagery. Uh, that's the other thing I didn't mention earlier is that, you know, the output has to be really, really high, high quality. No uh, pixelation or artifacts, or um, and we're color corrected as well. You know, because if you're doing art, I mean, what you're looking at on your iPad it has to has to look like what's on your computer. So that was, you know, another challenge on top of um, doing the low latency. And um, you know, we we had a lot of fun with it. Uh, to be honest, uh, we were. It was it was an incredible technical challenge, and we really believed that there was a market there because Wacom. Is such a big company that we thought there had to be a space for this.
0: So that's that's awesome. So I mean, this has been out for a couple of years, and I remember when the pencil came out, you had just won the Minnesota Cup, and I'm thinking, yeah, they're going like right from the the award ceremony, going back to work to make that pencil work.
2: Yep. <laughs> yep. It's
0: like they're not hanging out. Yep
2: no nope. um, actually for the uh, the Minnesota Cup which is a, a, like a business competition here in Minnesota I think it's the I think they would say it's the largest statewide business competition in the country and so we participated in that which is a great experience and um, learned a lot from that um, you know connected with some mentors that have been really helping us um, you know build a business and um, it, it just so happened that the, the final judging day for the Minnesota Cup was the same day as the keynote where they announced the pencil. So it was, it was an incredible day for us. We were, we were literally for we were literally editing our slides like minutes before we had to do our presentation for the Minnesota Cup to, you know take a screenshot of the, uh, uh, the keynote and, and get a picture of Apple Pencil in there.
0: It's like that screen from Elf where they get done with Christmas and they have to start all over again.
2: Yeah, no, it was, it was uh, and I believe the first, um, when we launched it for iPad Pro, I believe Kiovanni coded it up, and we didn't, um, we submitted it to the App Store, we didn't have access to a pencil, and we were just kind of like, fingers crossed, this works. And then I remember running around like a nut, going to different Apple stores, trying to get my hands on an Apple Pencil so I could actually test the thing on the day it uh, came out. So that's, that's so what? That's. that's awesome. go ahead. That's awesome, so
0: now you launched this thing, and I know a lot of people that have launched apps, but I don't know a yeah. lot of people that have launched apps that people are downloading like crazy and using. So what was that process like?
2: Yeah, so it was, um, we were really lucky in the beginning that we got like a ton, we got a, just a ton of initial traffic, and we got, it, it really started a great uh, word of mouth that, um, So it turns out a lot of people from that, it turns out a lot of people are actually looking for a solution like that. They're looking, you know, they're Googling on AstroPad, or on uh, they're Googling stuff like, how how can I use my iPad as, you know, a drawing tablet? And so we're able to get a lot of new customers in um, that way. So we really tapped into this uh, demand that was there. And as a result, we haven't followed the typical curve. And with other software I've released in the past, it's always like, whoa, launch day, huge launch day. And then just like downhill from there until you do another launch and it spikes. And then it's, but we really tapped into something here where there was a need, where there's been like consistent traffic and consistent demand for this.
1: So how many people are in your shop?
2: Yeah. So we are now, um, five, five of us full time. And uh, at any given time, as of right now, we have four contractors. Any at any given time, yeah, I think it's four. Yeah, any given time, three to four contractors uh, on top of the, the five people.
1: And how do you manage the, the scaling that's been involved? Because it sounds like it was a two-person startup that then grew.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's I mean, it's been a, it's been a learning experience for us for sure. Um, we, um, uh, what took us a while to learn, too, is that, um, at, you know, as we grew the team, I mean, it sounds obvious, but in practice, it was kind of a hard lesson for us to learn is that that as we grew the team, that we'd um, have, it'd be harder for us to do development. And, you know, we're just being pulled in so many different directions now that, you know, we've had to bring in other people to do a lot of the development. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been, you know some of it has been like out of necessity as well, scaling a team. It's like, you know, we had to bring in, um, uh, you know, customer support person and, um, she's great. Uh, she's, uh, you know, does, um, she's an artist too so we brought in her and she knew she knew a whole bunch more about these programs than um than we knew so we brought her in and then um i was spending so much time around launches and figuring out how to get word out and coordinating marketing stuff because marketing uh, from the beginning from our launch has always been something we've like focused very heavily on um we didn't we haven't just like kind of let uh, put it out there and like oh let's see if we we get into users we've been very conscious about uh marketing and so, you know, we had to bring on somebody to help us uh, help us with marketing and she's been awesome as well. Um, we've been doing been able to do so much more now with that with, you know, with her help. And then
0: so Matt, I, uh, should, I should point out to our listeners that when we talked last time, we talked a lot about your marketing thing and you gave a call, talk at AltConf, which would have been yeah. 2015, 2014, where you were mm-hmm. doing marketing and like they nailed like your company nailed it. So if you want to learn how to do promo for an app, that's a great place to start.
2: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the kind words. Um, yeah, we you know we spend a ton of time, um, and we still do. You know, we recently launched a whole new website and blog and video, and you know we're always trying to up our game uh, and improve our marketing. So that's something we spend you know really as much time on that as we do as development.
1: Do either of you have business backgrounds?
2: We don't. We don't. Um, we've always had uh, the entrepreneurship bug. Um so my co-founder and I uh, my co-founder's name is Giovanni Denelli. Uh him and I met about 10 11 years ago now as Apple interns. And um you know I remember back then it turned out we had both dabbled in doing like shareware. Um you know years later, you know then we would meet up again and end up doing astropad. Uh but I remember even back then we both you know uh, had shared experience dabbling with uh, you know doing doing Cocoa apps, doing Mac apps and um, selling them online. So we had had some previous experience launching like software products, but nothing on the scale of AstroPad. Um, and so that's it's been a you know incredibly uh, rewarding and uh, challenging challenging process to figure out you know how to scale up Astropad.
0: So, at what point in the development process do you realize that you can't do it by yourself? How do you make that decision?
2: Yeah, so that was um, that was shortly after um, the Apple Pencil um, came out, and we were really realizing we're like, wow, uh, you know, there's there's so many things we need to take care of, customer support and marketing and. Uh, the you know just the ongoing running of the business it's like wow we cannot put in the dedicated time we did before 1.0 of astropad where we would just be able to put in you know a significant uh, undisturbed lengths of time to just hammer away at the at the core tech and it was like wow we're not you know we're not making the forward progress we want like i think it's we're we're stalling out here we really need more help that was it like we just couldn't we weren't moving as fast as we wanted and we knew um that we had to uh bring somebody else in and so you know we've we've got a uh ios developer with us now he's great he's um you know uh, our most recent uh update astropad studio our really significant release more than an update uh is has been entirely his baby and he's been able to do like an incredible an incredible amount by just having that dedicated focus development time again, like we used to have.
1: You have invested so much in creating this backbone of custom tech. How did you architect that or is it all just found solutions as you were going?
2: Yeah. So the, um, in terms of the architecture, it's very modular. And that's been a really big key of being able to pull it off. Um, so we have these, we call them like labs where we've broken it up into a bunch of different libraries where like we have, uh, we have our own uh, networking library which can be run separately. We, I have the video codec library which can be run separately. So then we have all sorts of test projects with these. So most of the time when we're working on the tech, we're actually not working in Astropad. We're usually working in some specialized tool. And so that allows us to work a lot faster and allows us also to to really isolate problems. And that's really been a key in, in being able to pull off building liquid. I think if we had done it all as one big monolithic piece of code, uh, it would have been incredibly challenging and probably incredibly buggy. Um, just, just being able to... Um, Kind of a divide and conquer like that. You know, even when you're looking at performance problems or bugs, has been uh, really, really helpful. And then we have a you know thinner layer, the, the AstroPad app itself that you know integrates these components. And um, so that's that's kind of the overall architecture that's mm-hmm. allowed us to get this thing to work. Within the components, um, individual components have been each one has been rewritten many times. Uh, What's happened is, it's just like, we learn a little more and we're like, okay, this is gonna work, let's you know, redo it. Like, uh, I completely redid our video codec for um, version two of Astropad, you know. We learned so much from the 1.0 that it was like, hey, I can go in the video codec component, I can redo this, and it was great because it didn't disturb anything else because it was this modular piece. Um, But it's been a lot of trial and error.
1: Do you touch third-party libraries?
2: You know, we, we don't have a ton of third-party libraries, um, especially for core stuff. The only areas where we really use third-party libraries is for, like, crash reporting and analytics. Otherwise, um, and we use, you know, Sparkle on the Mac for updates. Uh, but if it's core to the experience or the Ashpad app, generally it's our own. it's our own stuff. You see, this is an area
1: that fascinates me. And I have this prejudiced idea that successful tech tends to be stuff you can control from the bottom up. Have you found that?
2: Yes, I agree 100% with you. Um, Now, I don't think, you know, that being said, there's areas, you know, where it makes sense not to do, like it wouldn't make any sense for us to uh, to do our own crash reporting service. Mm -hmm. But we've chosen one area um, to really specialize and go deep and that's, you know, our networking and our video component, video codec. And that's allowed us to do a tremendous amount of stuff that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to do had we been using like an off-the-shelf video component or, you know, using like um, AV Foundation or something like that. Uh, it's been really core to um, building Astropad and being able to pull it off as is. Owning the entire stack, Um, there's there's been a lot. uh, the The other interesting thing too is we're able to um, tightly design, you know, like our network, like our video codec is designed specifically for wireless. So that's something we couldn't necessarily do otherwise. Like it has been, the way it works has been engineered to fit within like a typical wireless packet size. So we've been able to do those kinds of optimizations. That had we not owned that entire stack, I think would be extremely difficult to do, if not impossible.
1: Yeah, I tend to call it nose to tail stack.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 one of our um, biggest advantages we have with Astropad is having the control over that much of the stack. Um, and um, if anything, we over time, we're bringing more and more stuff into our own stack. So we have full control over it. So with, uh, he, go ahead. with the real wide
0: range of tech that you have in, in your app that you're controlling, all these things, like how do you make the decision of what skill sets you need for your first hire or second hire?
2: Yeah. So um, the biggest thing we're always uh, looking for, which, by the way, we are looking to hire somebody right now. We're looking to bring somebody on to work on our uh, video codec and really bring it to the next level. Um, but you know for, for that kind of position, we're really most of all looking for, for passion, for being really interested and excited by the technical problems. and um, also being interested in uh, the space we're working in and like creating creative software and you know, enabling people to make and draw and paint new things. Um, so people that are really into that, that's, you know, um, that's the first thing we look for so don't so people that are 10 years. If you like it, definitely not. Nope. Uh, it's more, you know, do you have the drive? Do you have the, you know, the hunger to want to work on this kind of stuff? Um, cause, uh, you know, if you really want to do it, we believe, you know, you'll figure it out. You know, if we hire smart people that really want to do it, they'll figure out how to do it. And, um, so you know for our first hire like he's a great all-around general developer he's done a lot on in particular on ios which was great but uh, you know that's not necessarily a um, requirement so
1: what languages have you chosen
2: so we um pretty much the entire thing is uh, objective c and c
3: Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from the Freelancer Show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremotecomp.com.
2: So we, um, pretty much the entire thing is, uh, objective C and C. Um, we're, we're starting to pull some C plus in there, but, um, for the most part, depending on, depending on where it is in the stack, uh, by, you know, number of lines, it's mostly objective C uh, uh I'm sorry to sorry to admit that we actually don't have any swift code in there.
1: <laughs> uh, why would you be sorry though?
2: <laughs> uh You know, for us um you want your you know, credit in 5 years? Is that that what you want? Yeah. Well, there's that and um You know, the the interesting thing is if I hadn't been working on AstroPad, I'd probably be all over Swift because uh, years before AstroPad, I was like, you know, there needs to be a better language than Objective-C. This like isn't, you know, I'd go dabble with things like Python and I'd come back to Objective-C and I'd just be so frustrated. I'd be like, what is this? You know, but with AstroPad, we've been so focused on like just getting stuff done that it was just like, okay, what do we know? Okay, we know Objective-C. Okay, let's do it. And um, so that's really been, uh, and then also the you know the the tight integration with you know C, just being able to go easily between C and Objective C, because especially things like the the video codec uh, are mostly C, uh, most, and that's generally for performance reasons.
1: It seems to me if you're spending a lot of time in the GPU you're just naturally going to gravitate there.
2: Yeah, to um, like C, C code? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and we'll try, We, you know, there's at some layer, there's some objective C, but it's just um, with... You know, the these these innermost loops get so uh, gets called so much that it's like all of a sudden, you know, message send is, is just killing you. So we have to go with you know C function calls, and also yeah, with GPU stuff. You know, we're using things like OpenGL and OpenCL. We use OpenCL and also also some Metal in there too. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, they're like you know OpenCL is totally a, a C API, and um, so it, it when we're trying to you know extract every le- last ounce of performance we can. In fact, uh, we have assembly code in there as well. We're using the SSE and the um, Neon vector units on the uh, x86 and um, uh, ARM chips, and um, you know that's so, so some of our innermost functions have been optimized out as you know assembly to get the absolute highest performance we can.
1: But I'm fascinated by the fact you felt that you had to apologize for sticking with these tools. Do you feel pressure from Apple to move
2: to Swift? Uh, I, uh, I wouldn't say pressure from Apple uh, to move to Swift. Um, it just, um, it just seems like the way that uh, the community, the industry is going, Swift, like Swift is really caught on. Um, you know, it's starting to feel like it's at the tipping point.
0: So I have a question. How are some, for, oh, go ahead. For, actually, for, for Erica. So w- with Swift, if we were to, were to do this type of stuff in Swift, you know, we have a static language so we can get a lot of the same type of performance improvements we can get out of C. If you want to do like tight loop stuff that you would typically do with C, if you're dealing with an Objective-C app, how close is Swift from being able to get compatible performance?
1: You know, that's a really hard question. And the reason that it's so hard is that a lot of times in the discussion of the language, people say, well, we know the compiler is going to be able to optimize this at some point, point. and that's not necessarily the answer that people who have shipping code today want to hear.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, and it's that kind of stuff that it's like, okay, well, let's you know, let's drop down to C. You know, and another area is is in um, the very. Um, Very precise memory management and also in the raw access you have to memory in C, where, like, you know, when you're doing like graphics kind of stuff, like the video codec does, where we're going through buffers and, um, and also just like putting together packets that we're sending across the network, you know, C, it's, it's, you know, dangerous because you're at that low, because you're at such a low level with, um, such free access to memory, but at the same time, it's incredibly powerful and really useful for these kinds of situations.
0: I know, definitely, like 20 years ago when I started programming, I was doing C and C++ and the advice I got from my seniors, is like, don't even try and optimize your code. Like the compiler yes. is so much smarter than you are that you're not, what actually gets run is like going to be completely unrecognizable from what the code you wrote. But someday we'll get there with Swift.
2: Yeah, that'd be, I mean, it'd be great. The other thing for us is, um, you know, portability is important. And, um, you know, we'd love the, like the vision of Swift sounds awesome, Awesome uh, being able to write um, system level stuff in Swift that's high performance and that could be portable across platforms. I mean, that'd be incredible because, um, you know, we're not using stuff like uh, C++ because we necessarily love it. It's just uh, as of today you know it's one of the better better languages for the job of you know system level software that needs to be portable
0: so if you're trying to bring people onto your team and you're telling them you're thinking about c plus plus does that affect the, the desir- desirability of the job
2: uh you know so far um, so far it hasn't because you know we're really um we want to look to for people that are really excited about the problem space and that um, they uh, they want to use the best tool for the job. You know, they're really interested in the video codec space. They're interested in, you know, the networking space. And it's like, hey, I'm going to use whatever language and frameworks and tools are really uh, needed to get the job done in the best way I possibly can. Um, so that's really the, the kind of people we're looking for. And um, so far, it hasn't been... Um, No, it hasn't been a problem.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And on the other side, the people I know that are heavy C++, they're all like, there's really no jobs in this anymore. So that could be a plus in your side.
2: Yeah, no, that's interesting. In a way,
1: the goal of your app is to be invisible. How Mm -hmm. do you design an invisible app?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's been um, that's been a challenge Um, and uh, we've had to do some unique UI uh, to kind of pull that off Uh, we've because of our a couple things we've done is, you know, we don't really do gestures we're like gesture from the side or gesture you know, any kind of gestures that would necessarily interfere with um uh what's sent to the mac so we can't you know for example like override um you know we detect pinch to zoom but we have to make sure that we don't have our own app specific function for that instead we need to be taking that pinch and we need to be sending it to the mac as if you're pinching on the um, trackpad so that's had all sorts of unique um, Design characteristics with it. You know, one of which is that we have to be very careful with gestures and how, and how we build any gestures into the app, which we've done more with uh, our most recent iPad Studio and Magic Gestures that we introduced. But and the other thing is too is like you know, filling the whole iPad screen with uh, the display of the Mac and not trying not to get our own UI in the way. And as you said, being invisible. So what we've had to do is we, um, we've we got this circle button that you can move around. And when you toggle that, it brings up a full sidebar. So we've got this rich sidebar in there that's actually adaptive and, and changes depending on the app you have uh, front on your Mac but um you know we've made it really easy to hide that so you can just tap that circle button the ring button and hide the sidebar if you don't want to see it and then we've also made that ring button movable so you can move it all around the screen so if you know it's getting in your way you can toss it over to the side so we've really worked really hard that if you want just the mac screen we really tried to give you that and um so that you can hide, you know, UI that you don't need out of the way and stay um, invisible. So it's um, it's taken us quite a bit of time to figure out this sidebar design where we have this sidebar that hides and shows, and then we can really build a rich set of um, features and functionality in there and settings. Um, but that but that has served us really well for for doing that, where we can, you know, it can be invisible or or we can have the sidebar.
1: Has it been there since your first version, or is this something more that evolved?
2: It's definitely evolved. It was there since our first version. What it started out as, is it started out as, um, so if you're familiar with a traditional graphics tablet, where you're like drawing on this black slate, and then on the side, there's a bunch of physical buttons. Our original sidebar was modeled after that as a, the idea of having these physical buttons on the side except you know instead of physical buttons of course it was software buttons um so that was the original idea but it has evolved a lot since then and an astropad studio is really uh really what it's evolved to and that now it's it's more like a navigation controller on the side where we have nested um quite a rich hierarchy of uh, features and functionality there and um in hindsight now it seems obvious it's like you look at the how it works and it's like oh of course it should work that way well it definitely wasn't you know it took us quite a while to find that design um but but it's it's um it's really serving us well and it's great because it's extensible too and for something like Astrobed studio that we're going to be adding tons more features to um really t- catering to the uh, high-end pro with Red Studio. So, you know, we've got tons of room to grow now.
1: I'm fascinated by your pricing structure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I first saw it, I thought to myself, it's kind of a hybrid between the traditional iPad, you know, app pricing, and something you would expect, say, from Adobe. With the yearly, you know, subscription, how did you settle on that? How did you decide to bisect your market and and come up with this notion?
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely uh, it definitely is a hybrid, like you said. Um, what? After we launched AstroPad and really after the Apple Pencil came out. And then after the Apple Pencil came out, we had this like ridiculously good hardware of the iPad Pro and Apple Pencil. And so um, we started to get a lot of high-end professionals using AstroPad. And it became clear that there was two um, two really groups of AstroPad users. There was um, the people that occasionally used it, or they were hobbyists and they played around with it on the weekend and they liked to draw in Photoshop but you know it really wasn't a part of their day-to-day workflow or you know maybe they use it now and then they want to edit some photos and they use that with Photoshop but they're not using it uh, you know 5 days a week but then with App- Apple Pencil we started to get users that were like living on it like 5 days a week using an AstroPad replacing their wacom products and using ipad pro and AstroPad instead and they were asking for all sorts of features and so it was like okay well we want to keep it simple enough for these folks that are using it only occasionally um and we want to you know price it to them because they're not going to you know occasional users they're not going to pay a subscription because they're just not you know they don't use it enough you know it makes total sense but then on the other end, we've got these users that are demanding all sorts of really sophisticated features. And it's like, wow, we can't, you know, we can't build these features they're asking for with a one-time price. Like it's just, it's just not gonna work. These are too sophisticated. We've got to go really deep um, and really, you know, think through a lot of these features. For example, things like, you know, like, um, you know, 10 bit color, the, um, was that uh, deep, deep color, for example, is a great example. Um, you know, these kind of things that would take a lot of effort to build in to uh, Astropad that really only the highest end pros are asking for. So it was like, okay, we need some way that we can split this so that the pros that really need every feature and they need every productivity enhancement they can get, they can pay for it. But at the same time, we're accessible the people that only occasionally want to use it. And in fact, we also saw this, you also see this with, um, Wacom products where, um, you know, for a long time they had the, uh, bamboo graphics tablets, which were really for, you know, hobbyists. And then on the other end, you had, uh, you know, the, um, uh, Wacom Intuos, Intuos, I'm not sure exactly how to say it, Intuos, uh, that is, you know, for the creative professionals. And so, this had been done prior as well. And we're like, you know, we really need to split split our user group into two so we can cater to each uh, very, uh, very specifically.
1: Having two such separate user groups, how do you manage the different levels of customer support that comes with it? And is it what you would expect where you would get more support requests from the lower one than the higher one?
2: Yeah, that is actually what we do see. We do see more support requests from the um, – so we call them astropad Studio and AstroPed Standard. So we see more support requests from Standard in general, I'd say. Um, The – these kind of support requests being seen from AstroPet Studio are more um, in depth and more like feature requests. Like, hey, I, I want to do this and this and this in Maya. You know, very, very specific versus AstroPet standard questions are a lot more like, hey, I'm having trouble get, getting this set up. It doesn't seem to be work with my Wi-Fi network.
0: That's interesting. And sure. how? go ahead. How do you
1: direct your customer service to deal with them because developing good customer service is such it becomes a really big part of an independent iOS platform
2: mm-hmm. yeah uh, you know definitely I mean it, it helps that our uh, you know customer support person she's incredibly patient and uh, she you know she also uh, she knows, She really knows these tools in and out. And so for us, too, it's as part of bringing that into our development process, too, so that there's some things that we can't necessarily do anything about. Like um, somebody has, you know, they're on an enterprise Wi-Fi network, and there's a firewall that's preventing them from connecting. Well, there's not, you know, there's not a whole lot we can do about that. But in other cases, we try to learn from that customer support, we try to bring it back into the development process so that we can improve the product in some way to hopefully prevent that in the future, to reduce you know, those questions or, or intelligently warn somebody about that you know, unusual scenario they got into and how they can correct it.
0: So if you, you've got multiple types of employees working on your software, you've got people answering the phones, you have people writing the code, you've got your founders. Mm-hmm. Now you're based in Minneapolis, Mm-hmm. I know your developer is uh, what about the rest of the team are they all co-working mm-hmm. how does that work
2: yeah so we're we're a uh remote team um most of us are here in the minneapolis area but for the most part we work from home um we do have a small presence in northeast minneapolis a small office there in a co-working space uh, where i'm actually at right now and my co-founder is in um san francisco and so like you know we're hiring right now for a software engineer to work on a Rio codec and we're not you know we're not strictly looking at san francisco or or minneapolis we're you know we're open to all over the place Um, and we have contractors from you know italy florida um, let's see washington state kind of all over the place so we're used to working as a distributed team
1: well what i was going to say is because you're so distributed how does that how do you manage that you know facilities and stuff do you depend primarily for example on dedicated spaces co-working spaces how do you deal with you know physical plant issues
2: yeah so for like for each individual person like how they you know their their own kind of setup is that what you're asking about yeah so it really depends Um, you know we have one person uh, she does she does our marketing and she comes in uh, every day to um, a co-working space Um, you know I kind of vary I I split my time between home and also a co-working space and uh, for some of the other people you know they love they love working from home um, they just, you know, that's a that's a huge positive about uh, about the job for them is uh, working from home. So they'll have their own setup, their own little uh, home office in some uh, corner room uh, in their house, and um, you know, make it make it work for them. Uh, and it, it works, uh, you know, once you get into it, it, really works surprisingly well.
0: That's awesome. I noticed, and most of our audience, I think, will have noticed that you were uh, advertising for the the video role on Stack Overflow. And I Mm noticed the the ad did not say must relocate to San Francisco. So that's good.
2: Right. Right. Definitely not. Nope. Yeah, we had, you know, hey, if you're in Minneapolis, we've got, you know, we've got some office space here, otherwise, you know, remote.
0: Awesome. So we're getting a little close to the end of the time. Any other questions or things you want to cover before we get to the picks?
1: Well, I know that um, just one last thing, since you are in a hiring mode, what do you think about all those hiring tests, the ones that everybody freaks out about and studies for? Is that an approach you use when you're trying to get personnel?
2: Oh, you're talking about like the um, quizzes like, "Hey, uh, you know, write me a binary tree, that kind of yeah, whiteboard. um yeah, we're not we're not fans of that really. Um, we, once again, going back more to like, you know, finding somebody that really has an interest in the area. And then we prefer people to do uh, little projects, uh, before we hire them on to do, you know, nothing onerous, that's like going to take a ton of time, but a little bit that, you know, allows you to work like how you, you know, that's going to be relevant to the work you're going to be doing and allows you to write up a project. And uh, you know, then we can go over it. We can review the code, talk about how you wrote it the way you did, rather than say a whiteboard interview, which is, I mean, nobody, you know, n- nobody doing, uh, you know, uh, software development as a career, you know, does does that kind of thing. You know, we're having to look up stuff all the time, so it doesn't seem reasonable to subject somebody to that kind of uh, pop quiz. Uh, instead, it's like, hey, you know, like we'll give you a interesting problem, and you know, use the the resources you have available, and and then, you know, to make sure they actually did it, then we'll walk through it and talk about it. That's
1: I good. love that you take that approach.
0: Yeah, especially because you're not a, you know, move this, div, five pixels to the right type of company. You're doing low level code. Um, yeah. You're probably doing some heavy algorithm work. You're doing low level yep. stuff, and you're still not doing whiteboard interviews.
2: Yep. Yeah. And, um, you know, we'll just kind of talk back and forth to about like high level concepts, you know, related to, you know, let's say it's like a video codec. We might talk about, you know, compression and maybe some of the concepts related to compression. Uh, and, um, you know, the other thing too is, you know, the developers we have working on this kind of stuff is we're small enough where everybody has their hand in everything. And so, um, you know, you're not going to be necessarily strictly one piece of the app. You know, you're going to be wandering around, um, working on all all sorts of different things within the app. You know, even even a person coming working on the code could probably end up working on other things now and then as well. You know, maybe the networking system, maybe, um, you know, maybe building some Q and A infrastructure for. Uh, the codec maybe you know there's a wide variety of stuff so um you know we're also looking for people that are really flexible and um adaptable
0: awesome so we're running low on time so we should probably get to the picks Uh, thanks for coming on the show matt erica do you have a pick for us
3: Hey everybody, this is Charles Maxwood. I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about JS Remote Conf. Uh We just picked speakers, things are looking really good, and uh, we're really excited to cover a broad range of topics for JavaScript developers. So if you're looking to learn things about Node.js, about becoming a better developer, about deployment, about mobile development and much more and much more about JavaScript then come check us out jsremoteconf.com uh, you can also find it by going to devchat.tv slash conferences and then picking the conference you want we have last year's recordings there we have this year's uh, conference coming up so make sure you get your ticket and we'll see you there
0: we're low on time so we should probably get to the picks uh, thanks for coming on the show Matt Erica do you have a pick for us?
1: I do have a pick for this week, which is that if you're into science fiction or fantasy, Brendan Sanderson's third book in his Stormlight trilogy is now available for pre order from Amazon, which came as a delightful surprise yesterday.
0: Excellent. So I've got a pick, and I haven't actually used the service, but enough people have told me good things about it. It's called BetterExplained.com. Mm. Oh!
2: Oh yeah, I have I have been to that.
0: Yeah, that is a great site. So it's a lot of math concept explained very well. A lot of stuff that you know I took engineering in college, so I went over the stuff at one point, which I've probably forgotten over the past however many years. So if you were a person that say wanted to learn how to code on Liquid, hack on say linear algebra, which at one point I could have done on a whiteboard, but not any longer. I actually did some. Some video stuff last year, and it was a massive stack overflow, cutting and pasting. And I got it done, but uh, if I wanted to understand how to do that stuff a little bit better, I could go to BetterExplained.com, and enough people have said good things about it where I can recommend it as a pick. Uh, Matt, uh, do you have any picks for us?
2: Yeah, so uh, since you brought up BetterExplained, that uh, I just thought of another pick. Um, so if you're into that kind of you know math explanation. Uh, type site. I recommend checking out the YouTube channel of three blue one brown um, There's these awesome animated math videos explaining concepts um, There's one playlist in particular about linear algebra. That's absolutely awesome um, I, I swear from watching that playlist I learned More about linear algebra than I did in a, you know entire semester in college. So great great channel uh, check that one out the um, other uh, other picks is um, I've been uh, I've been reading um, you know I'm way behind the times on this one but I've been reading uh, Becoming Steve Jobs and uh, I've been really enjoying that. that has been a great uh, great biography of Steve Jobs, especially when they talk about the uh, next era that uh, I don't know a whole lot about. Kind of what went wrong. That's really interesting.
0: So thanks for the uh, for the picks and Matt. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, we wish you luck with Astropad, and we're really happy to see it going well.
2: Yeah, no, thanks. It's It's been a pleasure uh, chatting with both of you, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to come on the show. Um, and, you know, for any listeners that are interested in Astropad, check us out at astropad.com. And if you're a developer and it, we're working on Astropad, sounds interesting to you, uh, please uh, get in touch with us at uh, jobs at astro-hq.com.
3: All right, everyone. Have a good week. Yeah, thanks. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot to learn more.